Good morning. Good. That sounded really upbeat. I like it. Good stuff. So if you notice, if you will look at your handout, you've got a couple of different goodies in there this week. Okay? You, do, you first have the uh, calendar so you know whether or not you want to show up for the month of July, depending on what I'm talking about, right? Uh, but what you also have is, let's go to our notes first. Again, we're doing a series called Foundational Framework, and here is the reason why. If we don't think clearly, we don't act clearly. And a lot of times, the pagan world doesn't care so much about what we believe or why we're right. They want to know why our life is different. We often think that if we have right doctrine, and don't get me wrong, right doctrine is very important, but if we have right doctrine, it's everybody else's fault, they're doing what they're doing. I say no. I say right doctrine leads to right living. In fact, if you would do a study on sound doctrine or sound words in the scriptures, you will find that often it's not just the knowledge of what you know, but it's how you're applying it to your life. And one of the worst things that I've ever encountered is a Christian that knows a lot and has not done anything with it. They are a bitter person who, let's be honest, hates pretty much everybody, including themselves. It is a sad, miserable existence. Now, I don't want that for any of you, so that's why we're going through this, right? See, passive-aggressive. Okay, never mind. So it's good that we go through this. So our foundational truths that we've covered so far, number one, the Bible is God's self-revelation. The very book that you have is because God wants you to know him. Very, very important. The second one, God is the only eternal, sovereign creator. Everything else is a creation of his. He alone is the creator. He alone exercises dominion. He alone grants or withholds power. He has that ability. Last week, and I'm really excited because I told you during the sermon this is going to mess you up a little bit, and it did, so I'm thankful for your emails. It's really good. Uh, angels are creatures who were created good, and they are the servants of God. Very important. And again, if you have any questions or anything, please email me, call me. I loved interacting with you. Thank you. It's, it's very good stuff. So let's take our Bibles and let's look at what we have written down here. Isaiah 45. Two verses we're going to look at to kind of prep our minds for what we're going to grasp at because I'm really excited. We're actually digging into the text of Scripture today. This is my bread and butter. I love it. So, verse 18, for thus says the Lord, pause, do we take that lightly ever in Scripture? No, it is God's word through a prophet for the people of that time to understand and embrace and to take seriously. They are speaking on behalf of God. Notice what it says. Who created the heavens, does that automatically put your mind Genesis 1-1? Yeah. Who is God? Who formed the earth and made it. Who has established it. Remember, he's not just the creator, he's the sustainer of all things. Who did not create it in vain. Have you ever heard about people, there's no meaning to life? We often hear suicides occur because of that. There was just no reason for living. They just had nothing to live for. It's a very serious situation. In fact, Mary and I had a very serious situation about someone who had killed themselves uh, over, over something that was just petty and silly. 
All things are in vain. And it comes down to this thinking of unbelief. There is no God. Somebody got fooled. Doesn't the Bible say a fool says in their heart there is no God? Psalm 14, isn't that what it says? What do we know? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That starts with God. So notice here, he who established it, he's the sustainer, who did not create it in vain. It has a purpose. Who formed it to be inhabited. The reason he made it is for people to live on it, to serve out his purposes. It was meant to be filled. Look what it says here. I am the Lord and there is no other. Now this is important, verse 19. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. God alone sets the moral standard for what is right and what is wrong. And when we become flippantly accepting of sin... Get this, accepting of sin is not grace. We're not to the grace point yet in here. But you accepting someone's sin and saying it's okay and patting them on the back, that's not grace. That shows a lack of discernment. It shows that we're not upset about the exact same things that God is upset about. Why? Because he declares what is right. He declares what is righteous. Everybody with me? Now notice, he says, I didn't say seek me in vain. God has spoken to be known. And he wants us to know him. He calls us to know him. Everybody with me? Great. So in that idea, we now pull out the second thing that we have in here. And if you notice, this is an old translation from 1890 by a guy named John Nelson Darby. Okay, you probably know him. He's considered the father of dispensationalism, but dispensationalism is actually didn't start with him. There's tons of evidence that it started before he ever uh, came on the scene. He just kind of put it together so everybody could understand it. And for everybody's benefit, I have pens. See, don't think this is, I came to do nothing, church. I'm telling you, cool guy that just showed up and is going to put his hands in his pocket doesn't exist here. It doesn't. So we are actually going to mark up the text of scripture today. This is not from a Star Wars convention, I promise. This is, this is an Elmo. Everybody remember overhead projectors? Okay, they just updated them, so we're, we're good. This is a good thing. So here we are. We all have the same translation. The interesting thing about this is even though it's from 1890, we don't have these and thous and yees and stuff like that. Nothing against that if you like the King James, but it does make it a little bit more difficult to understand. But what I want to do, taking that and... Our papers here, we're going to go through how do you study your Bible. So everybody's ready with their pens and everything. Let's read through this brief synopsis of how to study our Bibles first, and then we're going to dive in. Again, no slackers. So here we go. These are not anything unique. In fact, if you're familiar at all with Howard Hendricks' book, Living by the Book, which is an excellent Bible study book, you'll be very familiar with this. To me, what I found is an extremely effective approach. If you're looking for approaches to how to study the Bible, you're not going to find anything better than what Pastor Steve put together in his latest book. It's excellent. And if you don't have a copy of it, I encourage you to ask him about it to try to get a copy. So number one, what do you do? You pray. Why? Because without the Spirit's illumination, there will be no transformation. That's important. 
The Bible isn't meant to make us smart. It's meant to make us different. We are all prone to sin, and it is meant to change us into the image of Christ. So we've got to pray first. We've got to. Number two, observe, 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 right? Making the, sorry, marking the who, what, when, where, why, and how, identifying verbs and noting repetition help in establishing the subject, object, and motivations for any text. You can never over-observe. You will always find new insights. Then we interpret. After you've spent a lot of time observing, 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 now you interpret what you have observed. What was the author's meaning when he wrote this passage? That is the most important question you can ever ask when you are studying. The worst thing you can ever do, and if somebody has done this, repent, okay, is being in a small group Bible study and somebody reads a passage and they look over and they go, now what does that mean to you? Jesus doesn't care what it means to you. He does not. The Holy Spirit couldn't give two cents about whatever it means to you. He wants you to know what it meant when it was originally written because that is the Word of God. Very important. So notice, if we don't have that, we don't have the Word of God. The more time spent in observation, the better our interpretation. Context and key words are critical. Cultural barriers, genres, and the parties involved clarify the author's original intent in writing. If we don't understand what the author meant by what he wrote, we can't move on. I find a lot of theologians and preachers can't read, or I'm sorry, don't know how to read. They can read, they have the ability, but they don't know how to read. We all need to know how to read Scripture. And if you're not going for what the author originally meant when the Holy Spirit brought about this inspiration through him, we've missed the point. Application. The Bible was not meant to inflate heads but to change lives, and only the Bible changes people. Now you say, wait a second, I thought the Holy Spirit changes people. It does, but where's the Holy Spirit? Where? Do we not know? Inside, he's residing here. What is he waiting for? Anybody know? The Word of God. You put the Word of God and the Holy Spirit together, fireworks, that's what you've got. You've got dynamite on your hands. The Holy Spirit by himself will convict you and move, but it's the Word of God that ignites that fire. And we've got to be taking it in and fueling the Spirit's activity in our lives. Sometimes, too often, the Holy Spirit is a beggar sitting there inside of our hearts waiting to be fed so that we will stop being lethargic and insipid about life and move forward to do God's will. It doesn't happen any other way. The word of God changes us. It says here, this is not always found in our actions. That's important because we're always fruit inspectors. Well, he's not really living like the Lord. Here's a big one I've heard lately, and I'm not trying to knock anybody that said it, but I've noticed it. You wouldn't believe the things that come out of his mouth. You wouldn't believe the things that come out of my mouth sometimes. And I probably wouldn't believe the things that came out of your mouth. But if cussing and profanity is the pinnacle of what God's concerned about in his coming kingdom, we all got big problems. We care way too much about our sin and not enough about looking to our Savior. 
The Bible is never given to make us perfect. You cannot judge someone's salvation by how they live. What should be the crux of it is how much are they trusting the one who saved them? All the work we're constantly looking for was put on our Savior on the cross. We're not here to fruit inspect and judge other people about whether or not they're going to heaven. That's not the goal. The goal is to constantly encourage and edify them towards the Savior, even when they're rebellious in sin, backslidden from church. I don't want anything to do with God. Whatever that is, you point them to Christ. He alone saves. What they don't need is, I don't think he's really living it. Well, I don't know if the Spirit's really in him. If they say they're saved, treat them like they're saved. One of two things will happen. They'll grow or get saved. Good stuff. So, notice this. It's not always found in our actions, although that is important. But will always be found in our thinking. The Bible tells us about reality, and that is truth, and should influence our thinking every time. With right thinking comes right actions. If you are somebody that does not hold to a literal view of Genesis chapter 1, you are not going to be my friend after today. What I'm not asking you to do is to take up my opinion about it. I am asking you to believe what God has clearly said about this issue. Everybody with me? Excellent. So now, get our pens out. Here we go. If you like to chew the cap, you get to keep that pen. (laughs) Don't drop it in the box back there, anything like that. So here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What do we have in front of us? Observe, observe, observe. What do we see? What's in the beginning? There's a beginning. There is a beginning of time. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to mark here probably put this together and you don't have to mark like I do but I want to show you how I mark up a text there is time in fact here's the interesting thing about time what does time tell you it tells you when something happens it tells you when it went down you are now able to place it in history this is the starting point now here's the great thing I love about it notice who else it starts with what's this give you Ooh. Oh, man. I just got saved. In the beginning, God. That's who. That's who I need to be concerned with. That's how it starts, that he was already there. He's the one that's doing this stuff. He is the one who is marking where time is for us to begin. Now, what did God do? He created, and what is that? That's your verb. Very important. Your verb is always important. God created, what did he create? The heavens. So notice, I'm going to draw from here, over here. Arrow number one, he created the heavens. What else did he create? Go down. The earth. See, the reason why I blow it up real big for you and put spaces in between, this is how I study passages, is I go print something out like this and I'll mark it up. Because if I start marking in my Bible, I'll end up getting more white out than I do ink because I'll have to go back to something I missed or didn't observe. Very important. So notice what you have. You have a time when things begin, a when. You have a who. You have a what. He created, that's your verb. What did he create? The heavens and the earth. Does that include everything? Now pause for just a second. If we were just to put our minds around this, do you realize that the chair that you're sitting in right now at one time was raw materials that had to be made, gathered, processed in order to be put into 
what you're seeing now. You realize that? Do you realize that there was a time in history, roughly 6,000 or so years ago, when it didn't exist? How did it get here? What did we cover? God did what? He created it, but how does he create? He speaks. Do you realize the very thing that you're sitting in right now is a product of God's word, ultimately? What you see outside of these walls, it's a product of God's word. What you see within these walls, it's a product of God's word. Look around. Every person around you is a product of God's word. Everybody see how powerful his word is? See, all of a sudden, we start getting real excited about it. God's word, God's word, God's word. And his word screams about his word all the time. Now watch this. And the earth, it's our subject, this is our focus. I'm going to put focus here. And the earth was two things, waste and empty. Now, there are a couple of different views about what in the world this may look like. You can go to Isaiah 34, you can go to Jeremiah 4, and you can see the Hebrew tohu, and I think the other one is bohu is what it is for waste, void, empty, wasteland. Some people say all what happened here is that the earth was created, Satan must have fallen at this time, in doing so he wreaked havoc upon the earth. Therefore God is actually remaking it in the six days of creation. The other view says, no, what simply happened was is that when he spoke it into existed, he spoke it in such a way as to where over a period of time he would be able to, as an artist, as an architect, as a builder, as the contractor in charge, demonstrate and paint for you exactly what he is doing over time so that you could handle it. Everybody with me? Okay, good. So notice here, in darkness, this is how we start, in darkness, was on the face of the deep. What was there? What was there? Deep water. So water is already present. Notice that you've got at the end of that, and the Spirit of God, still equally God, absolutely, was hovering, there's your verb, over the face of the waters, deep, and waters. Now, I blew my text up a little bit so that you guys will be able to see it easier because if I use the kind of font that you have, it's too hard. Can everybody see that pretty good? Is it okay? Can we zoom it in? <laughs> Everybody's like, whoa, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Get it away. So notice what we have. Our focus here is the earth. The earth is in a situation of a blank canvas, ready to be painted ready to be built upon. For all of you, and I don't know if grandparents or parents how you do it now, I'm really into the Lego movies. I think they're great. They're clean and they're fun, okay? So that's like my favorite stuff. And the new Lego Batman movie is hilarious if you haven't seen it. So here's, a, you know, what I automatically want to think is is that God's doing Legos and doing that stuff. Notice that's my way of thinking. Something that already exists in matter and he's creating something else out of it. That's not God. God speaks it is, right? So notice we're in a point of darkness. Now, we're not going to turn off the lights for effect, but we're in darkness, right? And notice what happens here. Verse 3, and God, that's the who, did what? Said, and what I'm going to do is over here, I'm going to put in big letters, word. Notice how powerful God's word is, his word. Here's what he says. And notice that this translator didn't put any quotation marks in for you. He didn't want to add that. Why? Because they're not in the original. 
He wanted to try to bring it out as clearly as possible, and you can use your discerning mind in order to see it. Let there be light. Notice this is the command. And then you have response. And there was what? There was light. Any confusion here? It's amazing how simplistic this is. God speaks. It wasn't there. Now it is. Complete obedience. And notice what it says. And there was light. Obedience taking place right before your eyes. Now watch this. God doesn't just create. God takes a step back and go, hmm, so you see how you know he had a beard. Hmm. Right? Wants to search it over. What's his opinion of it? What's he think of it? What does he grasp about it? Notice it says here, and God, there's our who, and I'm just going to draw an arrow here. And God saw the light that it was, oh man, put a box around, it was good. It was good. That's one of the only words my son can say plainly. Good and truck, that's all we've got. But we'll take it, man. Now watch this. This right here, I want you to pay close attention, is a moral declaration. Remember what we read in Isaiah 45, 19? What did he say at the end of it? He said, yeah, uh, let's see here. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Here it is in front of your eyes. He made light. Light is good. Does any of this give you any inkling whatsoever that sin may be present? No, it's perfect, isn't it? You, you think about this. What you're looking at in Genesis chapter 1 is nothing but perfect, perfect, perfect. It is perfection found in the Word of God. Now, the Word of God's flawless. Yes, I understand, but it records a lot of crazy things about people. Notice here, we're dealing with unadulterated perfection, sin-free, pure as can be, beautiful, and the first thing that God wants to do is bring about light. Notice this next part here. It was good, and God divided. See, division's not a bad thing. God divided between light and darkness. You know what this tells us? Distinctions. So I'm going to take a light here, and I'm going to take darkness here, make a little bracket distinction and this is super impressive because normally i can't do two things at one time so i'm writing and speaking light move it up sorry so notice you were in the darkness and now you're in the light yeah that's my visual effect for the day so notice Light and darkness. There's a distinction that's going on here. God wants to make a distinction. Now stop for a second and think with me, okay? The most dangerous thing in the world is a Christian that thinks and knows what he believes and why he believes it, okay? Think with me. When you bring a distinction into a situation, what have you just done? You clarify something. You make it clearer as to what it's done, and this has been a dirty word in our age, and you segregate it or you categorize it. God operates unapologetically in categories. People, things, objects, ideas are categorized for the sake of distinction. 
See, we live in a mindset now where you have the postmodern existentialist, blah, 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 all this stuff which pretty much says you can't ever know that anything is true whatsoever. It's all up for grabs. Whatever's true for you might not be true for me. We don't want to live according to standards. Why? Because if you live according to standards, you have accountability. And our genera- this newest generation that's coming up, not my generation, this newest generation that's coming up wants to live without responsibility and accountability. And that is what we are fighting. And by separating from the distinctions that the Word of God has, they are successfully getting away with all kinds of stuff. Why? Because they're a victim. They're not responsible. What's my mom and dad's fault? It's not me. You can't blame me. Don't you, don't you, do you hear that? Do you ever get that sometimes? You, you ever want to smack those people? Man. Like, you're just talking about the distinction between light and darkness. I'm telling you that it goes far-reaching. And God unapologetically makes categories, distinctions. So notice it says here, verse 5, And God, there's our subject again, called the light day. Uh-oh. Here's our verb. And what did he call? Day. The light has a name. The darkness he is calling night. Go down here to what it's called. Why is this important? Do you, has anybody been keeping up with what's going on in Canada right now with pronouns? Gender pronouns. Does that sound weird to anybody? Anybody know what I'm talking about at all? Okay, so a couple people do. Gender pronouns. You have to refer to somebody, regardless of what sexual orientation they are, how they were made, you have to refer to them by what they want to be called. So if I'm there, and if I recall correctly, they've already passed a bill that it's considered a hate crime if you don't do this. So if I want to say I want to be known as Mrs. Edmondson, number one, that's weird for my wife. But number two, you have to call me that by law. Or it's a crime. All, I'm, I'm, we knew Canada lost their marbles years ago, right? We understand that. But is, is it not insane? Is it not absurd? Do you see how far-reaching the depraved mind will go to destroy classifications that God has set in place? I mean, let's be honest. Is it really about being male and female? Is that really what the argument's about? No, it's about suppressing the truth with unrighteousness. It is about covering up what God has clearly made. In fact, let's talk about this a little bit more. Have you noticed that the people that go to have surgeries, everybody, Bruce Jenner, right? Now he's Caitlyn Jenner. Still call him Bruce. I don't care who I offend. But notice that. Him getting this surgery. Does anybody know what that surgery was called? What do they call it? Corrective surgery. Does everybody see how loaded the language is? What does that tell you if they were a man for all of their life, 60-something years, and now they've had this surgery to now be a woman, and it's a corrective surgery? What have they just said about God? God made a mistake in how he made me. Is that true? Think about it. Isn't that interesting? Classifications and distinctions matter. And it all starts in Genesis. We haven't even gotten to people yet. But God's still doing it, and God's still showing it. Light and day. He is designing and ascribing the names and distinctions in place. Now, here's where we get into crazy stuff. Everybody watch. It's it's like uh, it's like uh, If you blink, you'll miss it, right? Here we go. Me and Chuck were driving through there the other day, and he goes, that was Wyocena, and I'm like, 
okay. <laughs> he didn't mean anything bad about it, but I was wondering where it went. So, so watch. And there was evening, and there was morning, the what? The first day. And I'm going to put this, a big one. Now let me ask you a question, because this really is, it's not just an observing thing, it's an interpretive thing. We can go ahead and look at this. God is letting Moses write this. Is there any question about God, what, what God means by a day? No. But yet we've had all of this debate and discussion about, well, the word day can be translated as millions of years. Okay? Now, can, it, can the word day be translated as an indefinite period of time? If I said, hey, I saw you the other day, what day am I talking about? Was it a period of time or was it the whole evening and morning? Did it stretch over millions of years? Hopefully not. But you see what I'm saying? You, we, we throw this word around, but here is the key to it. And this is the big neglect of everything. The key to it is right here. Everybody see this? Context. If I had a Sharpie, this would be as bold as can be because what I found is, is a lot of disagreements that people who love the Lord have in dealing with the Word of God is they have neglected the context. The context tells you how to interpret what you are reading. What is a day in this context? It is an evening and it is a morning. And there is no question surrounding. I don't like that. I'm not very happy with that. That's okay. But just let me ask you this question. What does God say about it? Because see, here's the interesting thing. Well, I don't agree with that interpretation of it. Number one, please provide for me a better one from this passage. Because God's talking immediately to us, and this is how he decides to kick all things off. So please, and, and get this, I understand. Origins is a very sensitive subject. If you want to touch somebody's nerve, if you want to hit their hot button, origins is where it's at. People lose their minds over this subject. But here's a question. What's a better explanation? Is God giving you anything by what he means that we should be thinking differently? I don't think he is. Let me ask you this as well. Why can't we just accept what God has said as what he means? Anybody know how much money and paper and breath and energy has been wasted arguing this subject? There's all kinds of people that could have heard the gospel with as much drivel that's gone on surrounding this. The Bible is clear. There's an evening. There's a morning. That's a day. And when you muddy that classification, you have walked away from what the author meant in writing. Guess what? You don't have the Word of God anymore. See, it's one thing for, the, for a statement to be out there. It's another thing for God to give you how something should be understood. Everybody got that? Context is important. There was evening. There was morning. That's a day. Notice this, verse 6. And God, here's our subject again. He said, let there be an expanse in the heavens. Man, this word expanse. If you could check it out, do some research. Here's some meanings I found when I looked it up. Firmament. One translation has it listed as a vaulted dome. Nobody's impressed. Okay. So if you look it up in the Brown Drivers Briggs uh, 
Uh, lexicon for the Hebrew, it says an extended surface is what it is. Look what it says. There, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Remember, nothing but water. All we got is light and water right now. That's all we got. It says here, and let it be, let there be a what? Division. Uh-oh. God's using division. Between waters and waters. Now, what's the explanation for that? Keep going. The context tells you. So this is going to supply us for an understanding of this. And God made, pause, and God what? Notice it doesn't say spoke. God made. God made. Which if you reference this and you look up what this verb means, it means that he manufactured. He did something. He put it into effect. He may have had his hands on it. Did he bring it to existence by speaking? Yes, but notice he is fashioning something. He's got his hands intimately involved. Notice God made good verb here. He made the expanse. He divided between the waters. There's waters number one that are under the expanse. So that probably the waters on the earth. We got that under is our key word there. We want to make sure you pay attention to that. And the waters, waters number two, that are above the expanse is going to go over our head. See, this is why this is important because when you get to the flood and you go, good grief, where did all this water come from? Everybody see where it came from? There's not just water here, there's water there. Interesting. So notice, the waters that are above there's our key word, the expanse, and here it is. And it was so, just as God said. God says it, it happens. In fact, sorry, I'm in the dark. Just as God said. In other words, he is speaking and his word is being perfectly fulfilled. Everything is holy, everything is righteous, everything is in complete obedience. Everybody see that? Man, my pen's a little thin, isn't it? I'm sorry. Let me try one of these. Here we go. Now, let's move on to verse 8. And God called the expanse, God, our subject, called, here's our verb, and notice he is naming. He calls it heaven. So far we have light, darkness, or we have day and night. We have an expanse. The waters, we're going to call it the heavens up above. And there was, here it is again, evening and morning what? Second day, any confusion? No, see here's the interesting thing. Because we spent all the time talking about the first day, interpreting the second day becomes easy. Why? It doesn't change. It's got consistency with it. So we don't have to argue over it. Here, let's see here, there was evening. Here is your context for that. Verse 9, and God, there's our focus, said, notice we're back to speaking. So I'm going to write over here, his word is in effect here. His word is effect. And God said, let the waters under the heavens, now these are the ones not above, not above the expanse, but under on the earth, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together to one place. To give you some kind of idea, maybe of Pangea, I'm not really for sure. But one place, and let the dry land appear. Notice how that land is in italics there, everybody see that? It's because it's not in the original. And let the dry appear. We have land for the first time. Everything we've had since then, 
has been water, light, darkness. That's all we've had so far. God names it. He separates the waters. We've got the heavens, and now he is gathering everything together for the ocean so that dry land can come to be. It says here, what is this? And it was so, and what is that? Just as God said. Everybody see the power of his word. Everybody see that he's using his word constantly. He speaks truth and things happen. Verse 10, and God called. There's our subject. Here's the verb. He called. And what did he call? He called the dry land earth. That's what it is. Land in italics. It's not there. You can still read it. And the gathering together of the waters, he, God, I'm going to put it together just so there's no confusion. That's one thing I don't like. I don't like it when they say he or him referring to God and they don't capitalize their personal pronouns. And so sometimes I do that. He, he, right? He did. He called seas. Verb, and notice that he also calls the sea. Pause. Is there any fogginess or confusion about anything you've seen so far? Isn't it amazing how simplistic Genesis is and just how bombastic it is because these things have never happened before? He is telling you how things got the way that they are. This is where they started. And God saw that it was good. It was good. What is that? That is your moral declaration. God determines what is good. Now, this shouldn't surprise us because everything he makes is good. Everything he thinks is good. Everything he decides is right. All of his actions are free of sin. Is everybody with me? Remember, this is completely different from how we think now because we have to deal with sin. And it's a weird spot to be in when you're trying to think, okay, what is it like? No sin, no sin. It's different. So notice it moves on here, verse 11. And God, there's our subject again, said, and what do we put over here? Word. Notice his word is in effect again. I've already warned the children, Sunday school people, just let you know. God said, here's what he says, let the earth cause grass to spring up. What do we got going on here? What is it? Vegetation. And notice it's the first thing that grows. Everybody got that? We now have growing stuff, which is good. Let the earth cause grass to spring up. Herb producing seed. So notice that. Herb being the finished product, okay? I'm just going to write this for brevity's sake. Finished product, producing, producing requires a process. Seed, and what is this? What is seed? What would you call seed? Huh? What's that? Future life. That's great. I didn't tell him to say that either. It's good. Future life. It is in infinitesimal form what you will later see blossoming out later. That's what we're looking for. Notice that God is setting up a process and reproduction from the beginning is part of it. Growing, moving forward. Having the necessary elements to produce another of like kind. Everybody with me? So it says here, fruit trees yielding fruit. Notice it doesn't say fruit trees yielding koala bears. We laugh. Why? There's some people who actually believe that. 
See, that's what's scary. We laugh because we're like, that's absurd, koala bears, whatever. There's some people that actually believe that you can take that and cross those things. Notice that God supplies the context to rid us of that satanic thinking. How can you say it's satanic? Because it's not according to truth. And I don't know anybody else that is the deceiver but Satan. Notice it says here, after their kind, just like it, always consistent. Whales don't become dogs, don't become beetles, don't become leaves, don't become peaches. It doesn't happen that way. You have a dog, you got many dogs, maybe different dogs, but there are lots of dogs. Maybe that would have been funnier if I said rabbits. You got rabbits, you got lots of rabbits, but they're all different rabbits and they're all of the rabbit kind, right? Canines, rabbits, they all are in there. So notice, after their kind, the seed, wait, wait, what is that? The seed, the future life of which is in them on the earth is where? In them which means they are personally responsible for reproducing to keep that going. Everybody see that? In them. Here it is. And it was what? And it was so. Just, exactly, just as God said, it is perfect obedience. And so what happens right here is that obedience. In fact, I'm going to write it off here to the side. Obedience. Here's the obedience. Everything that God commanded in verse 11 takes place in verse 12. And the earth brought forth grass, e, uh, herb, per, per, that's not tongues, I promise. Herb producing seed after its kind and trees yielding fruit, the seed of which is in them. Here it is again. After their kind. And here we have the hmm moment, right? And God saw that it was good. There's your moral declaration, just as we saw in verses 4 and 10. Moral declaration. And here we have it again. Context. There was evening. There was morning. Put in a big old three. The third day. Is anybody unclear on what's taken place so far? Isn't it beautiful? It's simple. And by no means are we spending all the time observing that we need to. You can go back to Genesis and never exhaust what's going on there, ever. It's incredible. But what's, what we are seeing is, is we're seeing consistency. We're seeing that God has a design, a way of taking things forward is what he's looking for. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of heaven. Hold it. Time out. Somebody hold the phone. Let there be what? Lights, plural. What have we already seen? Hold on. So what you're telling me is, is that there was light before God made lights to give light. Is that true? That could never happen. Is that true? It's what the Bible says, doesn't it? In fact, is God mincing words about this? See, this is what's important. Why? Because the evolutionary mindset will tell you, well, obviously, and that's how they 
demean you, obviously. There had to be the evolution of the sun and the moon before you could ever have light anywhere. You have to have something that gives the light in order for there to be light. What gives light? God, I love it. You're the first people I've talked to that's gotten that right. Everybody take your Bibles, turn to Revelation. Pull your Bible to the side. You may have it over there, it's okay. Turn to Revelation real quick, let's see it. Revelation chapter 21, all the way to the back. If you hit maps, you went too far. Revelation 21. This is talking about the new Jerusalem coming down. It's going to be a glorious moment. Revelation 21, look at verse 23. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. Why? For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Verse 25, its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. Turn over to chapter 22. Look at verse 5. Just should be probably on the same page or one page over. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Here's a question. Where'd the light come from on the first day? Notice that. It's probably, we don't know for sure, but more than likely, if we don't have elements that are in the firmament in order to give the light, it's because God chooses at the moment to show his glory upon his creation. Like, man, that, but that just doesn't happen that way. Two questions. Number one, were you there? No, I mean, that, that, that shouldn't be irrational because that's how God deals with Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? See, when we think we've got it figured out, we've got to stop, fear the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, pull back and ask, who is God in this situation? Number two, do we know everything that God knows? No. See, these are all like real easy questions, I promise. You ever notice whenever science comes across something, it's a discovery? Some of you got that. How come it's not something that they created or we did this? They've tried. It's failed. Anybody remember when they're cloning the sheep? Poor Dolly. Dolly, yeah, it's just Dolly. And Roxanne just shaking her head. No. Died quickly, right? A failure. She could never reproduce. That's a great point. What's God say is going on in this, in this first chapter so far? Is reproduction vital? It's essential. In fact, he didn't just want people to reproduce. He gave you all the gears and grommets to make sure it happens. Interesting. Everybody see how intimate he is. Some have. Science and science fiction. Now, here's the thing. Immediately you're going to say, man, you hate science. I don't hate science at all. In fact, I think it would do us all well to research more in science. And this is why I have printed up this that was listed in a science journal. It's a small little excerpt that I've put out there. If you notice, I'm leaving you guys all kinds of stuff out there. I'm going to have candy bars one day or something. Very interesting point that he's bringing up here. What I'm not, I'm not against science. What I'm saying is, is that if you start your science at science, you've missed God. 
If you operate in an entire direction where God's not part of the picture, remember, you're only dealing with 50% of reality. He has to be there because he is the one who establishes it. Let me read this to you real quick. At the moment of conception, a fertilized human egg is about the size of a pinhead, yet it contains information equivalent to about 6 billion chemical letters. This is enough information to fill 1,000 books, 500 pages thick, with print so small that you would need a microscope to read it. You think God's sending a message through his creation? Why does he want us to discover these things through science? Because he's got something to say to us. In fact, if I recall correctly, whoever the scientists were that unraveled the DNA DNA helix, Watson and Crick, if we want to understand, one of them had to keep saying to himself audibly, there is no God, there is no God, as they were doing it. Notice, paganism is vehemently opposed to creationism. Why? Because it testifies of a God to whom we are all in creation accountable to. See, I'm not even talking about saved or unsaved. We have a maker. We are creatures. He is the creator. And we are answerable to him. And he has taken the time to reveal himself. Why? Because he doesn't want us ignorant. He doesn't want us lost. He doesn't want us scraping in vain. He wants to be known, and he's gone to great lengths to make it so. Everybody see how that works? Man, that preaches for days. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse. Notice it says in the expanse and not above the expanse. Think about that for a while. That'll that'll mess you up at 3 o'clock in the morning. That'll wake you up. Let the lights be in the expanse of the heavens to, what's it say? Divide, there you go, between the day and the night. Now, this is what we were dealing with in day one. And let them be, hold it, he's giving you a purpose. Let them be for signs. Reason number one. The sun, moon, and stars were created specifically to give signs to us. And for reason number two, seasons and for days and years. Next page. Verse 15, and let them be for lights. Reason number three. In the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so, just as God said pause for a second i don't know if you've noticed what's gone on god marks time for our sake by using light does everybody see that does god need time does god need light why is it there for us does that show you a personal god notice that these are reasons why he has it And he is created in such a way so that we can know what is going on. How do we know to get up in the morning? It's light. That's why he keeps smacking the alarm. No, no, it's light. Get up, right? Verse 16, and God made the two great lights. There are two great lights. The great light, we know that to be the sun, to rule the day. The small light, moon, we got to hurry here, to rule the night. Some teachers are losing their heads right now. And stars, And God set them, here's our subject, or I'm sorry, our focus, God, uh, in, again, in, 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 all the translations are consistent, in 
the expanse, not above the expanse, in the expanse. Makes you wonder what the expanse is. Very interesting. Of the heavens to give light on the earth. There's one of our reasons. In fact, that was reason number three. So I'm just going to put here reason number three. And to rule during the day and during the night. That was actually reason number one. And to divide between the light and the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There's your moral declaration. There was evening, context, morning. There it is, big old four. Let me get up here in the light. Fourth day. Let's move on. God said, let the waters swarm. So notice the waters is what we're dealing with. Notice that he said, so we're dealing with his word again. Let, let the waters swarm with swarms of living souls. Very interesting. Some of your translations will say creatures or beings. It says here living souls. Why? Because the soul is the essence of what life is. Very interesting. The word in Greek, suke, soul, can also be perfectly translated without any problems at all, the word life. What will, it, what will a man gain if he gives up his life for the whole, or gains the world but gives up his life, gives up his soul? Exact same word. So notice here, living souls. So this is fish, let fowl fly, birds, above the earth in the expanse of the heavens. And God created great sea monsters. That's a good translation, right? 1890, great sea monsters. Ooh, scary. Notice that. And every living soul, great sea monsters, every living soul that moves with which the waters swarm, what's it say? After their kind. We've got more categories. We've got more distinctions here. After their kind. And every winged fowl after its kind. Mark it again. Categories. After its kind, after its kind. And God saw that it was good moral declaration. I apologize to move so quickly. Verse 22. And God blessed them saying, first time he's brought it up, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seas and let fowl multiply on the earth. Reproduce. I've given you all the gears to do so. Now, populate your existence. Verse 23, context. There was evening, there was morning. The fifth day. Don't apologize for what God makes clear. Evening, morning, fifth day. Verse 24, God said, here's his word again. Notice the power his word, God said, let the earth bring forth living souls, very interesting, after their kind, category, that's an E-S, apologize, <laughs> cattle, creeping thing, beast of the earth, here it is again, after their kind, categories, and it was so, what is it? Just as God said, perfect obedience. Does everybody notice that as things keep going, just as God said, we don't have any friction or problem? Just according to his word. That's simple. That's, that's simple of a, of a concept. Verse 25. And God, now interesting, this is brought up again. We haven't seen it since day two. God made. Notice that there's work involved here. God made 
the beast of the earth. Here it is. After its kind, category, and the cattle, after their kind, just so you didn't think that the cattle were different, doing something different after their kind. Notice he takes the time to, to let us know. He commands Moses to write it this way. After their kind, every creeping thing on the ground, what is it? After its kind. Do you think that God is trying to communicate something through the repetitious process? Absolutely. He wants it to get locked in our minds how reproduction looks, how it functions, how it's supposed to work. It says here, and God saw that it was good. Now, you're done with your papers and you just stuffed them in your Bibles. You're zipping up your Bible case. You're ready to go home. No, we're not doing that. It was good. Let me show you something real quick. Everybody see this? This is the work that I put into it this week. All kind, I mean, I got highlighted stuff. It's all crazy. But notice this. Is God trying to communicate? Everybody see? You can spend tons of time with this, getting all kinds of stuff out of it if you just observe, observe, observe. It's so important for us to understand. As people, our thinking about creation will never be complete because we are not the creator of it. Who here builds their own stuff? Like you have a hobby. You put together your own guns or you... Kenny, you know I'm going to pick on you because I said I would. Kenny does concrete. What's that? Art and painting? You got to know a lot about it in order to get into it, don't you? You ever had those people who don't know much about it and they go headfirst into it? You know what that's called? Credit card debt. That's usually what that's called. <laughs> it's usually a bad way to go. But you have got to know how to prepare something, all the essentials to put it together, how to mix the concrete just right, how to pour it, how to smooth it out. I don't even know what I'm talking about because I don't know anything about it. And later on, Kenny can let me know. That's not how it goes, right? Because he knows inside and out. Where is our place on the chain of knowledge? Are we in place of God or under God? Very much under God. Does everybody see how meticulous he is in his design? Did you know that some people running college experiments will actually try to plant flowers upside down? They'll have the soil there. They'll, they'll plant the seed, pack it in and everything, put it upside down. They'll put heat on it from the top. Anybody want to guess what happens? Do the flowers grow down? No. In fact, what you find is the roots make their way down. The flowers go up. Do you realize that no scientist can explain why or how a flower knows gravity? <laughs> amazing, isn't it? God's design is amazing. And what is he establishing us for us to know here? What is he establishing? You tell me. How do you interpret this? How do you understand what he's trying to communicate? I mean, we just got done observing 25 verses of Scripture. What, what's that? His way is good. I don't believe his way is good. You ain't got no say-so in it. He already told you it was good. Can't argue with it, can you? In fact, here's the interesting thing. If our mind is skewed about what is good, he's just corrected our thinking about what is good. He will let us know what is good. He's the one who tells us what is good. What else do you learn? 
Talk to me, guys. We were all here. Unless you were, how many people were asleep while we went through? Okay. What? Why we are here. It tells us why we are here. You think with all these animals and plants and stuff, there's things for us to do? Probably. Sounds like a mess to me. We don't. What else? It's not evolution. You can't say something sprang from something, sprang from something, sprang from something. We, we, we just don't get that anywhere. Well, the Bible was written by a bunch of old Jewish guys who had a chip on their shoulder. It was written by an almighty God that has a chip on his shoulder now because we messed it up. Okay. Okay. How you function in your life, being fruitful in your life, and multiplying. What comes out of that? Life. Life. In seed form, the future life of what will be. Only God could design something like that. Now, here's the interesting thing. How do we apply this? This is all very narrative, and we, we, we sometimes make a, a, a false assumption like the Catholic Church does. This is just a story to kind of get us going. We really don't know how it happened. Don't listen to that. How should we apply this? Why does it matter? So what? You walk out of here, walk out the doors, you get in your car, so what? Why does it matter? I'm responsible to God. How many of you walked in here with the mindset, I'm responsible to God this morning? I mean, really, really. And did it reflect in all of your actions to get ready and corral the kids and make sure you smell good and the whole deal to get here to church? Does that really matter? Do we keep that at the forefront? Let me show you one last thing. Take your Bible. Turn to Psalm 16. why it matters. Psalm 16. It's the one right after 15, Tom. <laughs> Just had to make sure he gets it. Psalm 16, look at verse 8. It may not seem like much when you read it, but I ask you please to meditate on what it says. This is David speaking. Look what he says. I have set the Lord always before me. Pause. Think, think, think. Notice what David is saying about his life. I have set the Lord always. Or some, some translations say, I've set the Lord ever before me. Always before me. Look what he says. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Does everybody see why this psalm finds its roots dug deep into an almighty creator? If God wasn't creator, would you be moved? Wouldn't matter if you set him before you or not. You'd get moved by something else that was greater than him. But notice, because he is the greatest, and because all David cares about is a vision of him always in my life. Doesn't matter where I'm at. Always God, always focused, always dead ahead. Everything else, trivial. He, central. I won't be moved. Does everybody see why that's important when you deal with the Creator? Everybody, everybody grasp the significance of that the devotional nature of that. Everybody see it? Here's the question. 
do we live our lives in such a way where the Creator is always before us? Because He's just given us five days of reasons as to why He should be. I think it's enough evidence to convince us. Let's pray. God, thank You for our time in the Word to go through, to meditate, to observe, to think, to have our thinking changed, to be different people to be people who have a greater reverence for you, who have a fear of you, Lord, that is healthy, that is the beginning of knowledge, that our thinking would be different, that we would see you are intimate, you are kind, you are loving, you are artistic, you have design, you have made things to move forward and propagate themselves, Lord. You are amazing in what you do. And Father, our hearts need to be more and more convinced of this every day. Unbelief is our enemy to try to pull us away from what is so simple in Genesis chapter 1. Father, please change our thinking. Add to us this understanding. You are the creator. We are the creature. We are subservient to you. And we are accountable to you. Convince our hearts, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.